You are very kind. I want to speak to you today about the Bible. And I uh, want to begin by reading a passage and then praying. It's in mid-thought by Peter. And I, I am asking that you ask yourself very personally. I mean, I know you're a Christian school. Do you think this is dead or alive? Listen to Peter. Mid-thought, 1 Peter, chapter 1. You've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. You have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Let's pray. In minutes, please help us do much. Holy Spirit, help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My friend's name is Mark. This is not a made-up preacher story. None of this is exaggeration. Mark helped me adjust to visiting, living, and serving in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan. He helped me orient, and in a small cafe drinking great Turkish coffee, I said to him, Mark, tell me, how'd you become a Christian? His words were as arresting as any I have ever heard. He told me on February 17, 1987, he was with the United States Armed Services near Nuremberg, Germany. It was winter in the mountains, and they were on what he called Op 4 maneuvers with half-tracks and tanks. And an accident happened. And honestly, the dignity of this pulpit forbids me of telling you the details of what happened to him. But when his buddies pulled him out from underneath one of the half-tracks. They thought he was dead. They literally took off his shoes, tied dog tags around his toe, put him in a body bag, and zipped it up. He woke up in a morgue, in the bag, and being in the service, he knew what it meant when he felt a jingle on the end of his toe. He fought out of the bag. Can you imagine his shock? He kicks open the door. Can you imagine the shock of the guys who worked in the morgue? <laughs> he hit the ground, and of course you know, since he was talking to me, he survived. Here's why I tell you that. He was presumed dead 
but was very much alive. What do you think about this? Do you presume it dead? Just another nice book, as you're here studying? How do you see it? I simply want to ask two questions, one directly of the text and the other of the whole Bible. What, what did Peter think about this? Whatever you think, what did he think about it? And then second, dare I put it this broadly, what does God think about it? Which would have influenced Peter's thinking. Here's Peter's thinking. He just described this as a force, a force for purity and love from the heart. Listen again. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, the word there for purify is the same one he uses in Acts 15 when he says purified from the hearts by faith. Heart deep purification by doing what? Obeying. If you're like me, you go, really? I keep it and I get pure? Let me try and illustrate. I have a friend named John Lammy. He's a surgeon, but he's not an orthopedic surgeon. And while serving overseas in a very obscure area, trying to use his gifts, people started coming with more broken bones than damaged organs. He didn't know anything about orthopedic surgery. I said, John, what did you do? He said, very honestly, I prayed, cracked open my med books on orthopedic surgery, and started cutting. The bones got better, and if you'd asked John, how'd you do it? First he'd give glory to God, and then he'd say, all I did was read the instructions. That's exactly what he said. Do you understand Peter saying the same thing? As he's writing Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, he's saying, you guys are busted to pieces. You're so impure. In fact, Agrippina, the wife of Emperor Claudius, for fun, used to leave the courtyard and go and join a brothel and just enter sex trafficking for a little bit of fun. How would you feel if one of your professor's mates just said, yeah, I sex traffic on the weekend? This place needed purification. And he gives them a word? You see, it actually repairs humanity. Let me push it so you can understand. If you're in my hometown of Philadelphia and your car breaks down at 10th and Tasker at 3 a.m. in the morning, it's not a good thing. And if it won't start and all of a sudden your car is surrounded by four guys just kind of standing back, you're going to get nervous. Please imagine as you're sitting in this car at that time in the morning, one of them comes up and lifts his arms to put his hands on your window. And when he does, one of them has a Bible in his hand. The moment you see that Bible, you get a pretty good guess that that man is more human than you thought he was. He's more pure. You could be safe because this book actually does that kind of purification. But it also is a force for love. He says, obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply. And the word for deeply is the same word that's used for the way Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. So here's what he's saying. You take this book, you start to apply it, and you apply this to love, and it'll make you sweat and still love, no matter how hard it is until the capillaries in your forehead burst 
That's the kind of love that this produces. And then after that, he says, for you've been born again, there's the force, not by perishable, but by imperishable seed through the living and enduring, enduring word of God. Force for purity and love. Then he goes to Isaiah 40, and he basically takes a drone shot. He goes up and quotes Isaiah, for all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And this is the word that's preached to you. It's a drone shot. He flies over all of history and he just sees people dropping like flies. But the Bible stands. It's like that scene in The Last Jedi when Luke comes out and the Imperial Walkers are there and Kylo Ren says, aim at that guy. Remember that scene? <laughs> and I love it. But then the smoke clears and Skywalker goes, that's exactly the picture. This is a force. And in five chapters, 15 times, he mentions suffering and says, I'm giving you this because I know they're trying to kill you. I know. Well, what would make him do this? I'll suggest to you it's the way God thinks about this book. Very quickly, I'm just going to skip a rock across the Bible. First thing I want you to know is that when it comes to this book, the living God has made a decision. He wants the revelation of his word to be similar to the nature of himself. I'll say it again. He wants the revelation of his word to be similar to the nature of himself. Now, don't hear me wrong. Don't leave here saying, Joe said that God is the Bible and the Bible is God. I'm not saying that. But listen to John 1 so you can hear the way that God wants the Word and himself to be close. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God and he was in the beginning. Through him all things were made and without him nothing that was made has been made. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. At least God is saying, when you think Word, I want you to think of me. There are qualities about word and qualities about me. I don't want you to miss. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes even further. Listen to Galatians 3, verse 8. This is amazing. Paul will literally make the line between this book and its author blur. Listen to what he says. The scripture foresaw. You want to go, it did? Didn't know I had eyes that God would justify the Gentiles and by faith announced it did, didn't know it had a mouth, and declared it's a loud mouth. The gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed by you. Listen to me. That statement, all nations will be blessed by you, was said by God to Abraham hundreds of years before Moses wrote this book. Moses would write that quote much later. What's Paul doing? He's saying the character of God in this book are closer than you think. Here's an example. My daughter Ellie, 19 years ago, when my father-in-law died, my mother-in-law who lived with us lived right across the hall from my daughter. 
and she took her favorite stuffed animal, jelly, a teddy bear, and he gave it to Grandma and said, you need this now more than me. I want to tell you, she did that because she was given to her grandmother a piece of her, as much as she could. And before Grandma passed away, she cherished that thing. Well, now Ellie has it. She's given it to her daughter. It's a chunk of her. I'd say similar to the living God has given you this and said, look, when you look at the word on the paper, you remember the word in heaven. When you're studying the book, you remember the blessed one. When you take this word to your heart, you remember you can't get it there if he doesn't drive it there. And if you don't think that way, you're in the body bag. Here's another example. This is not just an illustration. Go to the back of the Bible and listen to what Jesus calls himself when he comes as the judge. Quote Revelation 19.13, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is Word of God. In other words, when he comes back, he wants us to realize when he makes every wrong right and balances every scale and wipes away every tear, he wants you thinking about the Word of God. He wants his final, full, fulfilling work to not be disconnected from thinking word. So that means every time I read this book, in order to correct myself and know in judgment what's right and what's wrong, I ought to realize I'm closer to the blood-stained judge than I think I am. The go to creation. You know this, and it says, and God said, let there be, seven times. He chose to create by talking. Why? He could have just gestured. He could have just thought. He could have done anything. Why word? Why is speech so important to God? So that now, every time I open this book, I can say, you know, I got nothing in here. Nothing. Make something in here and use your word the way you did then. He uses it in creation. And has it ever hit you that the first thing that a human does after the humans are made is to talk? That's the first thing. The very first thing. But why is that important? Listen. When God revealed this in word himself, he wasn't stooping to you. When he gave you the ability to speak, he was lifting you. You're in my image. Talk. Use words. I do. Do you see it? It's why in Hebrews 1.3 it says... He holds all things together by his powerful word. So when I'm coming apart, I come again to the word and say, I am pulling to pieces. Put me back together again. Hold me together or I will split to pieces. And here's probably one of the most convincing ones, at least to me. You ever noticed how Satan decided to destroy the universe? He didn't use a special effect, didn't use power, he talked. 
He hijacks a piece of creation and lies. What he basically does is say, Trinity, you create by word, I'll decreate by word. You construct by it, I'll deconstruct with it. You give life by it, watch me, I'll kill with it. I want to tell you, if he's smart enough to know how powerful it is, I ought to be too. I think finally, I want to show you how Jesus himself used word. If you think about it, it's pretty important. So I want to take you to the word who was flesh, the one who died the death none of us would ever want to die, who lived the life not a one of us could ever live. How did he use the very word he made sure that followers of his would pen? Now I realize as I tell you this, this is very careful and questionable hermeneutics. Listen carefully. There are 1,800 verses in this Bible that are direct quotes of Jesus's. 1,800. Of those 1,800, 180 of them are quotes of scripture. So 10% of every word that ever came out of Jesus's mouth that the authors quoted is the Bible. So at minimum, we can say this. The authors found it a little bit hard to quote Jesus without bumping into the Bible. He used it all the time. In fact, he used it when they were beating him beyond human recognition and stuck him on a stick. And he quotes Psalm 22. So the word took the word that the word had written to heart. I should too. And when you go to the parable of Luke 16, rich man and Lazarus, you know the story. The rich man and Lazarus both die, and it says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat, and uh, what fell from the rich man's table, and even the dogs came and licked his sores. The unnamed rich man dies, Lazarus dies, Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham, right to the presence of Almighty God. Well, the rich man is separated from God, and he begs in the parable, let me go back and warn my brothers. Listen to how the answer comes. Abraham replied, they've got Moses in the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. And he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Or put another way, Jesus was teaching, he thought, this book was more salient a help to you than if you beheld a miracle right now. That wakes me up. So I come back to my friend, Mark. He told me when he hit the ground of the morgue, the people in the morgue ran to him. They pulled him out of the bag and they immediately began to do everything they could 
to give him assistance. He could remember them, kneeling over him, shouting, screaming, Mark, stay with us. Stay with us, Mark. Stay with us. Would you allow me to reverse it in light of our study? What if you're just being pulled out of the body bag? And it's the word of God itself saying, stay with him. Stay with him. Do not presume this book dead, but very much alive. Let's pray. Out of all the people who walk your planet, we ought to treasure this thing. For reasons that boggle our minds, you wanted your character and your chosen tool of revelation to have similarities. Teach us from that. Would you remind those of us here right now who just have nothing inside and recreate by your word what we need? Some of us are coming apart. Put us back together by your word. Some of us have forgotten what a holy privilege it is to talk because we're like you and our words have ruined people. Please use your word blood-stained judge to correct ours. Give us the gift of repentance. Do everything you intended by your hand, for your glory, through your word. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.